Good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falking Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good Tuesday morning if you're joining us live. If you're catching this traditionally, whatever day it is, I hope it's a good one for you. This is going to be a little, well, I shouldn't say this is going to be different. This is going to be a similar podcast, but we're taking a little break, two weeks off the next two weeks, and then we'll be back in three weeks. So just keep that in mind going forward. So we got a lot to get to today. Certainly going to talk about the NFL, Major League Baseball, the rash injuries that are going on. This is crazy. The hockey playoffs just hit different, and it's been unbelievable so far. The NBA got what they want and other stuff as well. But I wanted to start today with the NFL and with the Juwan James situation. If you don't know who Juwan James is, Juwan James is an offensive tackle formerly employed and technically currently still employed by the Denver Broncos. I say formally and currently because he is going to be released with a post-June 1st designation. Well, the reason he's going to be released is because Juwan James tore his Achilles last week while working out. And this has created a whole lot of problems, interest, questions, strife, a whole lot of stuff for the league, for the Players Association, and for the players. Here's what happened. Juwan James is getting ready for the season, working out on his own. Now, we're still in a pandemic, and I know things are easing up, but guys are still going to have to work out on their own to be ready for training camp, whatever training camp looks like this year. Remember last year, an entirely virtual off season where you didn't have mini camps. You didn't have rookie camps, which again, some of those are going on as we speak. You were required, not required. You were encouraged to work out on your own. Well, Juwan James was doing just that. Tore his Achilles tendon. He's going to miss this entire year as he needed surgery to repair it. The Broncos cut him. So, Right there, I, I want to stop the momentum and, and go somewhere else. We all bitch about players who hold out. Selfish. He's putting himself out of the team. Think of Juwan James. He's working out, getting ready for the season. Because he's working out off campus, the league and the team call this a non-football injury. And they cut his ass. He had signed a four-year, $51 million deal in 2019. Broncos, they're not going to pay him because he worked out not at their facility. This shows you who really is the cutthroat member of the group between the players and the owners. The owners don't care about the players. And the next owner who talks about safety first and the players are so important. They don't give a rat's ass about any player other than the one probably lined up on their center who's hopefully going to deliver them a Super Bowl. Beyond that, a whole bunch of pieces of meat. So the next player that holds out and you all think are selfish, remember Juwan James and remember the fact that all he was doing was preparing to get his job done, but because he hurt himself not preparing to get his job done at a site that wasn't owned by the Broncos. They were able to cut him after he was cut. And again, because we're in a pandemic, 
several players are working out on their own when the risk of injury working out on your own would then lead you to the non-football injury list. The NFL sent a memo to its clubs to remind them that any player that's working out off campus, outside of the team facilities, it injures himself. The team, quote, the team has no contractual obligation, end quote. That was in a memo. So, in other words, the league's encouraging its teams, if a player hurts himself working out on his own, cut their ass. Don't need it. Don't want it. Can't have it. It's unreal to me that the league and the team, in a pandemic setting, even though we're coming out of it, has taken this hard stance. And, look, we're talking about a lot of money. Juwan James being cut is going to save the Broncos $10 million this year. And next year. So we're talking about a lot of money. Now, James cost himself $20 million. Why? Because he was working out not at the Broncos facility. This is another way that the teams can control the players. Now, remember, players with their around team facilities are being monitored, how they work out, what their habits are, their nutrition, their weight, all those things when they're at the team facility. When they're working out at their own, the team doesn't have that control. They don't know that the player maybe went out and partied his ass off the night before and then showed up and still got his work in. They don't know what this guy is doing. And, and that's the biggest fear for NFL teams is the habits that players are following in the offseason. It may not just be partying. It may be simply how they're working out, what they're eating, what they're doing to get ready for the season. The teams want to control these players for as much time as humanly possible. And this sort of injury, this sort of situation is going to be something that the next collective bargaining agreement, which we're talking about 10 more years is going to really have to take a look at from the player's side. Now, James is actually considering filing a grievance against the Players Association for agreeing to these contract situations in the last negotiation. Remember, the Players Association just recently agreed to a new collective bargaining agreement, and as I said, that's another 10 years going forward. They allowed the NFL language to create a 17th game. How quickly did that happen? Year one of the new CBA. Because the teams in the league see value in a 17th game. Do you remember the term player safety? Do you remember that when that was thrown around a lot? Because I do. And, and I always found it interesting that it was, you know, something that the NFL would do. Now, player safety is a very convenient buzzword that the league threw around in wake of the concussion lawsuits that hit the NFL. If you remember, there were a series of lawsuits against the league about concussions and the different things that, that the league didn't do to protect the players. Well, we heard a lot about player safety at that time. That's kind of gone in the back. You know, we forget about things 
after a little while. We, we, we don't pay attention to them. Well, now the league is not even caring about player safety. 17th game, player safety, those two things do not go hand in hand. They are oil and water. They do not mix. It is ridiculous. Here's something else with the 17th game, and this may be a little thing, but at the same time, I'm shocked by it. So the schedule release came out last week, and one of the surprising things were the bye weeks that came out. The bye weeks go to week 14. Now, one of the reasons the NFL is the absolute monster that it is and just signed new television deals that it's going to give each team close to $300 million annually just from television rights is because of gambling. And a form of that gambling is fantasy football. And fantasy football used to be one of those dorks like me did it, not everybody. Now everybody does it. There are leagues for office people. There are leagues for, for friends. Just go online. You can get a league. Some people have multiple leagues. You get the daily fantasy leagues. Well, most fantasy football leagues start their playoffs in week 14 or week 13, depending on how many teams in the schedule. Week 14 will, this year, have bye weeks involved in it. You're looking at a situation where teams that are hopefully going to be playing in the playoffs or their fantasy football might have guys on buys. It's an unbelievable oversight by the league that is now partnered with places that have gambling as part of their main business, FanDuel and, and things like that. It's just amazing to me that after all the schedules that come out and all the different things that come out, the league overlooked that facet. It really is a a stunning oversight by the league. And frankly, something that every fantasy owner is going to have to take a look at and make sure that when they're drafting their team, that they take that into account. If, if the league playoffs start week 14, then you better know what's going on. And, and it's something for sure that's going to be a problem in some fantasy football leagues. Let's talk about the schedule and let's talk about the Bills schedule. And, you know, I talked about it a little bit last week. I thought the Bills would open up with Kansas City on a Sunday night game. Thought that might be the way to go. The opener for the season – A lot of people were saying the Bills might go down to Tampa for that game. It's going to be the Cowboys and Buccaneers, and there's no surprise there. When you think about Jerry Jones and the power that he wields within the NFL circles, especially when it comes to the television contracts, the NFL is going to get their marquee team, or at least one of their marquee teams, the Cowboys, going against the champion, the the Buccaneers, led by Tom Brady. And that's going to be a great way to kick it off. Now, I thought an AFC championship rematch would be an interesting way for the NFL to start the Sunday night season. Well, they decided not to go that way, though that rematch will be on Sunday night, October 10th, early on in Kansas City. 
The Bills are going to open at home at the Ralph, 1 o'clock against the Steelers. Yeah, I know. I just said the Ralph instead of whatever stupid name the Pagulas sold out to put on there this year. Look, I don't care what this stadium's called. I'm either calling it Rich Stadium or the Ralph, one of those two things, because calling it anything else that's a stupid corporate name, especially when it's a health insurance company that I don't even know why they advertise. It's amazing to me. Our health insurance rates in this country continue to go up and up and up. and They're ridiculously priced. And yet we have health insurance companies putting millions of dollars into naming rights in a stadium when they don't even have to advertise. All right. That's enough political crap for me, but I just won't call it what it is. It's the Ralph. The Bills have three primetime games. The biggest surprise to me was that the Bills and Saints are going to play on Thanksgiving. And I think that's great. It's down in New Orleans. A lot of Bills Mafia is going to be on Bourbon Street. And again, as we get to where things are returning to what they were a year and a half ago before the pandemic, Bourbon Street, Bills Mafia, Thanksgiving night. Wow. That is going to be off the chain. It's going to be a lot of fun to see what happens down there. It also should be a very good game. I don't know what to expect from the Saints. They're still a very talented team. Drew Brees clearly gone, but I I have a feeling that Sean Payton knows what he has with his two quarterbacks, Taysom Hill and, of course, Jameis Winston. I still believe that Jameis Winston should be the starter all the way through and use Taysom Hill very similar to the way they used him when Drew Brees was under center. I, I think that's going to be ultimately what they do. But Sean Payton's a lot better football guy than I, and if he puts Taysom Hill under center for the majority of the snaps, it's because of what he's seeing in practice from the two guys that I've mentioned. So that should be a very good football game. The Bills and all have three primetime games. They play the Chiefs, as I mentioned, on Sunday night. They play on Thanksgiving against the Saints. And, of course, the obligatory Monday night game against the Patriots at the Ralph on December 6th. One schedule oddity, I thought, for the Bills was that three of the last four games are going to be at home. And and the last two, Atlanta and the Jets, could be a really beneficial situation. The last three are at home are Carolina, Atlanta, and the Jets. And if you look at this schedule overall, it's manageable. You've got the AFC, the, the NFC South, which is a very good division, of course. You've got Carolina, who's rebuilding with Sam Darnold. Tampa's a defending champion. That's going to be a, a, a tough, tough game for the Bills. Atlanta, with a ton of offensive talent, even if they do trade Julio Jones, they're still going to be able to put points up. And, of course, the New Orleans Saints, who we talked about. So that's difficult. The Steelers, I'm not sure what to make of the Steelers. A lot of that depends on Ben Roethlisberger. Ben wasn't – he didn't look like the quarterback he had always been last year. Now, another year removed from the injury, is that something that is going to turn him around? The drafting of Najee Harris gives him a running back, but I don't know that the running back situation was as big a problem in the running game last year as the offensive line was, which has suddenly gotten very old. Other teams that the Bills will play, they play Jacksonville, who that should be a win. They play the Colts. That's going to be a tough game. Carson Wentz, of course, going there. And and the fact that 
the Bills are going to have to play against teams that when you when you look at the AFC East, you don't really know what you're going to get. The Dolphins should be very good. If Tua Tagovailoa continues to progress, that's going to be a damn good football team. If the Jets will be better, I think the offensive line certainly is starting to turn the corner with Mekhi Becton and now the kid from USC, Vera Tucker, at guard. I think all of a sudden you're starting to see a little bit better offensive line defense took a little bit of a blow with Kenan Williams getting hurt last week. He'll be back for training camp, I think, but it's still, it's a foot injury and that's always concerning for a big man. So I think the jets will be better. And then of course the Patriots who get a lot of players back who sat out last year, you bring Mac Jones in Cam Newton didn't look like a guy who I think is going to be a a good NFL quarterback. Whether or not the the Patriots and Belichick decide to go the rookie route, we'll see. But I think they're going to be a tougher out as well. So a a tough but manageable schedule for the Bills. The other question with the Bills that I want to bring up, as we return to some semblance of normalcy from the pandemic, the training camp situation is an interesting question. Will the Bills go back to St. John Fisher? And word is that the two sides have been in conversation about the Bills returning to Fisher. Now, I don't believe fans will come out to training camp. I don't think that'll be something we'll see a ton of. There may be limited access, maybe even some VIP situations, but only VIP situations. It's it's going to be an interesting challenge for both sides if the Bills do have camp at St. John Fisher. Now, frankly, I'm shocked that they're even considering this because I thought last year moving camp to Buffalo was going to signal the permanent change that camp would always be in Buffalo. Apparently, the team sees value in the marketing aspect of having the Bills here. Sean McDermott had said last year that he feels there is a benefit in the team getting away and bonding. So maybe these two things end up happening and and we end up seeing the Bills back in Rochester. I know one thing when I was doing radio and I would go out to Bills camp almost daily and watch practice. The things you can pick up just by watching practice, just by seeing players, how they compete, how they handle themselves. You saw a lot of the leadership qualities of Josh Allen and the likability of Josh Allen and and the fact that his teammates seemed to gravitate to him. You saw that early on. And, And frankly, you could see the athleticism of Josh Allen early on. So, There was a lot of benefit from going out there daily and watching the practices. So hopefully, and last year we didn't get that. We didn't get that from the media. As fans, getting that information, opinion-driven as it may be, it still allows us to digest football in a little bit different way. So hopefully that'll be part of it as well. 
Ron Wolf is a Hall of Fame general manager, formerly of the Green Bay Packers. The Packers have a quarterback situation going on right now. God, obviously, Aaron Rodgers, draft night, leaked out that he's unhappy, doesn't want to be in Green Bay anymore. Last year, the Packers drafted and traded up in the first round to draft Jordan Love, quarterback out of Utah. This is very similar to what they did when they had Brett Favre and drafted Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers set the bench for a couple of years. Then they eventually moved on from Favre and turned the reins over to Rodgers, Hall of Fame quarterback, gives way to a Hall of Fame quarterback. I'm not ready to call Jordan Love a Hall of Fame quarterback. You see where this is going, and, and, and we've seen where this is going from draft night last year when, when the Packers made that decision. Well, Wolf was lamenting about the fact that diva quarterbacks, his words, not mine, don't feel they need to fulfill contractual obligations. And the question is, is it a diva quarterback Is Aaron Rodgers acting like a diva? Or is it a quarterback who has control of his situation, maybe for the first time in his career? And that might be one of those things that we're starting to see more of. You think of the quarterbacks who were rumored to want to trade. Obviously, Rodgers. Sean Watson, before he was accused of sexual assault by half of the state of Texas, was unhappy down there. You have Russell Wilson with rumblings that maybe he wants out. So we're starting to see quarterbacks maybe swaying their power. And and the question I have is this brought on by the ultimate quarterback moving on, and that's Tom Brady. You look at Brady, what he did last year is he left a situation that he knew very well and he knew where it was going. It's the Patriots and they're going to do what they do, how they do it. He ended up going to Tampa in a situation where he had a little bit more say and a little bit more control and maybe a little bit more freedom. And they ended up winning the championship. You know, they brought him in and I I don't want to say he was the final piece of the puzzle, but he was the biggest piece of the puzzle in Tampa. And and you wonder if guys like Rogers, Wilson, and maybe even Watson are looking at their current situation and thinking, I could maybe do that. I could maybe be the difference maker somewhere else. And this brings the theory of team building into question. To me, there's two ways you go about building a winning program in the NFL. Way one is you do whatever you have to to get your franchise quarterback. Then you build around him and hope he turns into the player you brought him in to be. You look at the Jets, what they did with Sam Darnold. They drafted him, traded up to get him, made sure they're going to be a position to draft him. Never surrounded him with talent. Three years later, they move on from him. I don't know what Sam's going to do in Carolina with a very good coach, an excellent running back, some talent on the outside. I don't know if he's going to turn the corner, if he's going to look like the same guy he was at USC and the Jets. But it's an interesting theory because he 
kind of represents the two ways to build a team. The other way is you build your team and you bring a guy in to play quarterback. Now, there's two ways to bring a guy in. You draft him or you take somebody else's used car, if you will, and hope that car is good enough to get them over the hump. Kansas City kind of melded the two together. They built a team around Alex Smith, and with Alex Smith in control, they traded up to get Patrick Mahomes. They ended up winning a championship with the young quarterback. Now, though, you're paying that young quarterback a whole lot of money. I'm not sure what the best way is. Do you build a team and then bring a guy in? I think the Rams kind of have been doing that. They, they tried to draft the guy and did in Jared Goff. It didn't really work out as well as they thought it would. So now they've built a team that's very good around Goff, but they didn't think he was good enough to get him over the hump. So they went out and traded for Matthew Stafford. I'm very intrigued to see how that works out. The Rams have a couple of the best defensive players in the league in Aaron Donald and, and at the back end, Jalen Ramsey. They've also got a ton of talent offensively. Cam Akers last year at running back showed he could be a number one back, and their wide receivers are obviously very good as well. So this is going to be a very interesting case study with the Rams. How, how do they do? How does Carolina do? And I think teams around the league, are going to pay attention. Now, you know, the Bills, they drafted Josh Allen. He became the quarterback they thought he was going to become, the quarterback they hoped he was going to become, and it's worked out well for them to this point. If he continues to progress, the Bills' job now is different than it was, and we talked about this with the draft. This is where drafting is different because you have to draft – to fill in as opposed to build. And you've got to draft depth so that when you lose salary cap or age casualties, you've got somebody to step in. The interesting thing, and going back to the quarterbacks, I think for teams that are missing the quarterback, there's always going to be a veteran you can go get. A team like Washington, who has a very good defense, but doesn't have the quarterback on offense, I think they could have gone and got a veteran this year different. Again, I I love Ryan Fitzpatrick. I I call him the cockroach because you can't kill him. I just don't think he's a winning quarterback, and I don't think the Redskins – I'm sorry, the Washington football team will win this year because of Ryan Fitzpatrick. I thought there were quarterbacks out there available – that they could have gotten that would have allowed them to be a more competitive team. And we'll see how it works out. But I find it interesting that the quarterbacks are going to get the money and they're going to get big money. But the question is, is it the right way to build your team for the best part of your franchise? We'll see. Only time will tell. And we do have a couple good case studies looking ahead this next couple of years to see what is the best way to do that? Major League Baseball is now a month and a half into the season. Last year, that 60-game season, the, the 
spring training started, then it stopped. Then they started again, had a brief spring training, played a 60-game season, full playoffs. We're going to see what happens to the players coming off that year. Because, again, it's repetition in baseball. With 162 games, you train a certain way, you go out and you play, try to stay healthy. And what we've seen so far this year is a crazy amount of injuries. The New York Mets right now are an absolute disaster for injuries. Last night, Mets outfielder Kevin Pillar took a fastball to the face. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with Pillar, but he's got multiple no nasal fractures, so I expect him to miss time. Pillar was starting because Brandon Nimmo has been on the DL with a bad finger and recently stopped his rehab because of that. Last night, the Mets finished the game with two kids in the outfield who both were making their major league debut in last night's game. The Mets have four of their five starting pitchers who are injured. Taiwan Walker left last night's game. Last night's game. He's going to have an MRI today. He's got a strain in his side. Jacob DeGrom is on the injured list. Carlos Carrasco has a pitch this year. He's on the 60-day injured list. And you've also got issues with, I mentioned Nemo, Michael Conforto and, and Jeff McNeil were put on the injured list yesterday. J.D. Davis is on the injured list. He was a starting third baseman at the beginning of the year. Noah Syndergaard's working his way back from Tommy John surgery. Seth Lugo, one of their key members of the bullpen, is working his way back from an injury suffered in spring training. You're talking about huge amounts of talent on the injured list, and this team is in first place. But it's not just the Mets. The Yankees have put Giancarlo Stanton on the injured list last week. I was raving about Stan, talking about how he's been playing every day. Well, here we go. And now he's injured again. And, and there's no real sign you can point to as to when he was injured. Nobody really knows when he was injured. They've also put Aaron Hicks on the injured list. And I don't know that that's a big problem. He hasn't exactly been a great player this year. Glaber Torres is on the COVID list. And, of course, Zach Britton. So the Yankees have their injuries. All throughout baseball, there's been a ton of injuries. How about these big names? Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna Jr. Last night, Mike Trout left the game. He's going to have an MRI today. Reigning MVP in the American League, Jose Abreu. Bryce Harper hasn't been playing because he can't swing it back because he's injured. Real, JT Riamulto, Corey Seager, Cody Bellinger. Talking about some of the best young players in the game that have spent time on the injured list this year. And I I don't know that it is all because of last year's shortened season and training, but something's going on in baseball. And here we are in mid-May, and we're going through to November. It's a marathon, not a sprint. I understand that, but who's going to be left at the finish line? This is a real problem for a game that's last year 
looked like was going to have some of the best young players in the history of the game were going to end up carrying this game through. Well, it hasn't obviously happened this year because of the injuries. That one young talent that will continue to draw eyeballs is the major league home run leader. I feel like I almost have to do an Otani watch every week because what this kid is doing, nobody's done since maybe Babe Ruth. Otani hit his 13th and league leading home run last night. And it was a eye high fastball that he ripped over the right field fence. He's now hitting 263 with his 13 home runs, 32 RBIs, just two back of the major league leader there. He started five games on the mound for the Angels. He's 1-0 with a 2.1 ERA. In 25 and two-thirds innings pitch, he struck out 40, yet he has walked 20. So the walks are a problem, but again, working his way back from Tommy John surgery, that very well could be part of the problem. It also is interesting that you know when he goes out, they move him to the outfield occasionally. When he's done pitching, you keep him. It's like Little League, really, what Shohei Otani has done. So there's a lot of young talent in baseball. Hopefully, it's just early season injuries, but we're starting to see a lot of soft tissue injuries that you wonder if it's a result of last year. Definitely something to keep an eye on as we go through the summer months with baseball. The Red Red Sox are one of the best teams in baseball record-wise. And, and it's funny because everyone expected the Red Sox to not be all that good this year. And they continue to win, and, and it, they lost their first four games of the year. And since then have been 25 and 13, 12 games over 500. They're 25 and 17 all, all told. When you look at the Red Sox lineup, they have three excellent baseball players. And maybe if you look at any lineup, take the best three of any lineup. I'm not sure anyone's top three is better than the Red Sox. Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, and J.D. Martinez. Bogarts is hitting 344, nine home runs, 26 RBIs. Devers, 278, 11 home runs league-leading 34 RBIs. J.D. Martinez, who I think is having the best year of all of them, 342, 10 home runs, 33 RBIs. When a third of your lineup is great, it's going to provide opportunities for the other guys in the lineup because you can't pitch around everybody. you got to pitch to somebody. So I think that may be a big part of the success of the Sox. Also, closer Matt Barnes has been very good. He's got nine saves already this year. 35 strikeouts in 20 innings pitched. Only three walks in that time as well. So that's a big part of the success. The Red Sox continue to be very good. You know, it's strange. Here we are in mid-May. There hasn't been a Red Sox-Yankee game yet. Not coming till another few weeks. And, and that's just something of a schedule clerk a schedule schedule quirk that's going to show itself in that the 19 times these two teams will play is going to be 
in the last hundred games of the year, pretty much. So baseball getting back to normalcy, you're getting the Red Wings opening tonight at Frontier Field. Very happy about that. It's been two years since the Wings have played, and that's one of those things. If you live in Rochester in the summer, go to a Wings game. It is such a treat. Great ballpark. Get to see some really good some really good talent. The Nationals now being the, the parent team, Steven Strasburg got a start this past weekend for the Wings. So should be a very good summer. I'm happy that we're back to getting baseball happening in Rochester starting tonight. Also tonight, the NBA is getting what it wants out of its play-in tournament. How about this? Tonight, the two games are Charlotte and Indiana. Indiana features a very good young team, but one guy I want to focus on is O'Shea Brissett. 31 points the other day in the season finale. O'Shea Brissett left Syracuse after his second year. Many people thought he was making a huge mistake by going pro. He's not ready. Everyone, every time you hear he's not ready and the kid ends up getting drafted, the kid proved his decision right. Now, he may not have been ready to be a first-round pick, but as a second-round pick, he got an opportunity. Went to Toronto, had a two-way contract, saw some time with the Raptors, continued to work and improve his game, spent time in the G League as well, recently signed a three-year deal which will take care of him financially for life. And if he continues to play the way he's playing, after this three-year deal's up, he's going to sign himself a nice contract going forward. So the message to the fans is that just because you want this player to stay at your favorite college for another year, don't hate on him for getting himself in position to make life-changing money. And some people say, yeah, but he only signed for $500,000. Well, I don't know about you, but $500,000 would change my world. And if I was a young kid and had an opportunity to do that, I would do it in a heartbeat. And the only negative that you hear from this are fans of the college team that the player is leaving. And we're going to see it again with Quincy Garrier, who's going to announce his transfer choice on Thursday. Many People are going to hate on him because he left SU. Well, guess what? He saw a better opportunity to get himself ready for the next level elsewhere. And in what's going on, the transfer portal, allowing guys to play immediately, he's taking advantage of a situation. I do not disagree with that whatsoever. So Indiana is going to be fun to watch because of O'Shea Brissett. Charlotte, of course, they've got LaMelo Ball, gets a ton of media Attention! I don't think he's the rookie of the year. I think Anthony Edwards up in Minnesota had a better rookie year than LaMelo. Missed a lot of time because of injury. But that should be a fun game tonight. The loser of that game is out of the playoffs. They go into the lottery. The winner will have to win another game, and they'll have to beat the loser of the Wizards-Celtics game, which is game two tonight. Of course, the Celtics are one of the premier teams in the league as far as fan base. They're disjointed 
there's something with this Celtics team that doesn't work well. Jalen Brown now going to miss time because of injury. Jason Tatum is a very gifted young scorer. Marcus Smart is a guy who's all heart. Celtic fans love him. I think he takes too many shots for his ability, and I think he hurts the team sometimes, but he certainly gives us all. So the Celtics are going to be very good. The Wizards are fun to watch. Now, if Bradley Bradley Beal is healthy enough to go 100%, he's been dinged at the end of the year, they're going to be a tough out. Russell Westbrook plays harder than anybody in the league. He will get out there and give it his all. He's had a couple 20-point or 20-assist games recently as part of his triple-doubles. Ryu Hichimura, the kid from Gonzaga in the middle, runs the floor exceedingly well. He's going to be somebody to keep an eye on tonight because Russ finds him in transition for easy layups and dunks. So it's going to be a fun game there. Tomorrow night, the NBA really gets what it wants. Maybe a bland opener, San Antonio, Memphis, although I'll sign on to watch John Morant play any day. The kid's spectacular. But the second game tomorrow night, Again, the winner of the San Antonio-Memphis game goes on to play the loser of the second game. The loser of the San Antonio-Memphis game is in the lottery. Golden State and Steph Curry, the scoring champion, at the Lakers, who suddenly are healthy. Dennis Schroeder's back. Of course, LeBron and Anthony Davis are back as well. This is the NBA's dream that you've got this game in the play-in tournament. Now, the nightmare would be that the team then has to win against the winner of Memphis-San Antonio to go to the next level of the playoffs. And there's a chance that either Steph or the Lakers aren't around for that team, so for that game. So if they lose, they're out of the playoffs. That's not good for the TV. But these... Two games, the next two nights. You know, a lot of people don't watch the NBA. If you want to watch, now's the time. Playoff basketball is very good. It's very watchable. It's not as watchable as playoff hockey. Because playoff hockey may be as good as anything there is to watch. Now, I have issues and questions with how the NHL is going to ultimately finish this tournament. You still have the American teams playing the American teams and the Canadian teams playing the Canadian teams. Theoretically, at some point, we're going to have to figure a way to get across the borders to play these games. I I don't know what the answer is, and I don't know that the NHL has yet figured that out, other than hoping that by the time the answer is needed, the question isn't as difficult to solve pandemic rules may open the borders up and and we'll be able to travel. But so far we've already had four overtime games in the NHL playoffs, both games so far in the Bruins capitals game game two was last night have gone to OT just been a spectacular series. Two games in you've got the Islanders penguins, great matchup. And that went to overtime and Minnesota Vegas, also went to overtime. It's just when you get overtime hockey, I don't know that there's something that there's a better sport to watch because the pressure of every rush up ice 
is just phenomenal. And, and you're talking about some of the biggest names and, and some of the biggest teams fan-wise in the sport. It's, it's going to be a great, great tournament. Last night, too, Nashville played at Carolina. Didn't go to overtime. Wasn't even that interesting of a game in that it was a relative blowout as these Stanley Cups playoffs have been. It was a 4-1 to one game. But there were 12,000 people in attendance. It felt normal. It felt very normal. And, and it was great to see that there were 12,000 people. Again, I don't know if we're ready to get back to not wearing masks. I don't know if we're ready to get back to doing all the things we used to do. But I'm here for it. I am absolutely mentally ready to, to move on. This pandemic has been trying on so many levels for so many people to, to see sports coming back to normalcy. It's just, it's a treat to me. And, and you're starting to see full state. Now, tonight you're going to have two more games, Montreal at Toronto, which that's always a great rivalry. And then Winnipeg at Edmonton tonight. And of course, Edmonton has the best player in the sport in Connor McDavid. So very good hockey again tonight to watch. But we're going to get to where full stadiums are coming. We've already seen it in baseball where the Braves in Atlanta, full stadium, the two Texas teams, Houston and the Rangers, both welcoming full stadiums. Oh, by the way, so the Rangers have a new stadium, and I, I, I don't understand this. They build a new stadium. First off, the old stadium was maybe 25 years old, wasn't that old, but whatever. They, want, they wanted to build a new one. They do. They put an artificial turf in there in Texas. That's just a terrible idea, in my opinion. First off, baseball needs to be played on grass. I understand if you're talking about the, the Rogers Dome in Canada. It's a dome, tough to grow grass. Okay, you got to have astroturf. Tampa Bay, it's a dome, you got to have turf. But come on, you're telling me that you couldn't figure out a way to have grass in Texas for this new stadium? What an awful awful decision to put AstroTurf in a brand new stadium. It is just horrible. The Yankees are playing down there now. And if you tune in the game tonight, you'll see what I'm talking about. It is just a terrible decision to have AstroTurf in a baseball field. It, it really is terrible, but the full stadiums are coming. We're getting to the point where, States are loosening their rules and restrictions, and you're going to see more and more of it. And it, I think this fall, the NFL is going to encourage its teams to have full stadiums. And they lost a ton of money last year without fans. That's why the salary cap dipped down almost $20 million this year, because of the lack of revenue for fans. Let's face it, everything the NFL does is about money. They are going to encourage their teams to do whatever they can to fill the stadiums. Are we ready for it? I don't know. But I certainly can't wait till opening day, that Sunday, Ralph Wilson Stadium, 
I know it's not called that. We covered it already in the show. Having the Steelers Bills Sunday afternoon, it's just going to be glorious to hear the loud Bills fans getting after it. And, and it's not just Buffalo. You turn on a game in Seattle where the crowd is just deafening. To hear that again. Kansas City, to hear their crowd. You, you're thinking of teams like the Chargers and Rams in that beautiful new palace that they built out in L.A. Fill that thing up. Put fans in there and, and, and let's enjoy football the way it's meant to be played. Now, NBA and, and NHL, I think it's going to be a little different, maybe a little slower because it's an indoor setting. But the rest of this year, you're going to see more and more of it as we go through these playoffs. And depending on where they're played, again, it, it could be a huge, huge home ice or home court advantage for the right team. If a team has fans in the building, it's going to change things. I thought last year in the bubble, one of the things that helped the Heat with their young three-point shooters, Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, is there were no road games. There were no crowd to get in their head. It was like playing pickup ball in an empty gym. It's a very relaxed setting, even though there was a playoff tournament. It was a very different feel going out there to get it done. So it's one of those things that it changes the way the games are played to a degree. It makes it more difficult at times to play the game if you're a road team. So certainly something to keep an eye on as we go forward, not only through the playoffs, but into the second half of the baseball season and into football and next year. It's really great to see. And I'm curious, I'm wondering how big of an effect did the empty stadiums have on the comfort level with Josh Allen? He was easily the most relaxed I've ever seen him at the line of scrimmage and, and was able to change plays. It's going to be different in full stadiums, but I think he's ready to handle that part of the challenge. Josh Allen's not the only one. It's just, he's the bills quarterback. So that's why I bring him up. It's going to be fun to see the adjustment back to normalcy, not only from a viewing standpoint, but from a playing standpoint. So there's that. The other topic I wanted to hit on today, the PGA Championship starts this weekend. It starts Thursday. Kiwa Island, the ocean course, probably the course is most famous for the 1991 Ryder Cup, if you remember that, the, the cup that actually really took the Ryder Cup from an event that was played to an event and it, that it's become. The PGA Championship, remember, used to be in August. Now it's in May. And this week it'll be down in Kiwa. The weather should be a non-factor. The reason I bring this up, in two years, 2023, the PGA Championship is going to be at Oak Hill here in Rochester. And Rochester's obviously very fortunate to have Oak Hill within its confines and to be able to get major golf every so often. We've, we've had a Ryder Cup here. We've had U.S. Opens and PGA Championships, U.S. Amateurs, Senior PGA Championships. The next 
championship, though, is going to look very different. I was recently talking to somebody who told me that Oak Hill, with their redesign, is going to be very different for the pros when they get here. And likely not nearly as challenging as it has been in the past. And what they said was because they took down so many trees, even though they've lengthened the course, the pros likely won't have much trouble. And they said, if you drive by Oak Hill, you'll notice the difference just from the road. And I thought that was a little weird. Well, I had a few minutes the other day and I did drive by Oak Hill. And I was shocked to see how different it looks just from the road. They've taken down a ton of trees. It actually looks like a course that was meant to be played without trees. And I don't know how this is going to hold up. Now, Oak Hill is always held up to the pros. It's, it's always been a, a course that's extremely difficult. Will it be in 2023? I don't know. It's going to be different than we've ever seen it. And it's going to be something that's going to – we won't know until it happens. I hope – and one of the things I've always loved about Oak Hill is how it does hold up. An old-style, traditional course that holds up well to the best players in the world. I really hope that's still the case with this new design. It's certainly going to look different aesthetically, but I don't know what that's going to mean to the players. When they get here, we're going to find out. But the, the PGA Championship will be two years from now right here in Rochester, and it's never too early to start looking ahead to that. So should be a good week this weekend down in Kiwa. Rory obviously recently getting – his first win in a while, back playing well, who will be part of the mix. We'll see how things go this weekend down in Kiwa. Well, that's it for this week. And reminder, again, we're going to take a couple, two weeks off. We'll be back in three weeks, taking a little, little break, a little vacation, and then we'll be back and we'll certainly recap all that was missed and go forward with plenty of great information and hopefully some entertainment value as well. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great couple of weeks. We'll talk to you in three weeks. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.